good to see you all here. It's good to see you all. Uh, so my name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited that I have the honor and the privilege of bringing the Word of God to you all this morning. Uh, may you guys feel encouraged, blessed, as we get into some cool stuff related to cross-cultural engagement, cross-racial engagement, uh, cross-ethnic engagement. Um, we're in our second week of our Call to Unity series. So last week, uh, or two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Phil preached the first part of that, and today I'm going to preach the second half of this whole thing of Call to Unity and what does that look like. So um, I want to start off with sharing with you guys um, one of the most bizarre near ancient stories that we see in the Bible, at least from my perspective. So, you know, as a child, you have uh, those stories that you like, that you hear, that you think are really cool. So like Noah and the Ark, that's pretty cool. Lots of animals, a big boat, cool. Uh, you know, you have David and Goliath, little guy beats up a big guy, cool. All right. Then you have like these weird stories. Um, and one of those weird stories is found in the first book of the Bible in the 11th chapter, and it's the story of the Tower of Babel. All right, the Tower of Babel. Now, it's really weird, and we're going to read it because it's like you can't necessarily wrap your mind around it right away, especially as a kid. You hear the story, you're like, um, what's going on here? This is just interesting. And I'd always remember this story, but it's just a little interesting. So turn your attention with me to the 11th chapter of Genesis. It's up on the screen, or you could pull it out um, on your phone. Um, by the way, if you're using your phone online, uh, in person, there's notes, so you can track along uh, with the sermon, with the notes online, uh, through your phone, through the app. All right, so this is, comes from the 11th chapter of Genesis, uh, reading from verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So, interesting story here. And it's actually one of those origin stories. It's an origin story of human linguistics, language. Um, you see from this story how people uh, go off into forming their own tribes and people groups. Um, it's, uh, you know, it must have been really bizarre to be there, right? Because, you know, you're building this tower that you think is going to be so awesome and so great. It's going to go into the heavens and you're building and you go like, look over, you're like, Eli, pass me a hammer. And Eli's like, blah, 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 blah. Then you look over here, you're like, Naomi, I don't understand Eli. And Naomi's like, blah, 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 blah. And then Naomi doesn't understand you and doesn't understand Eli. And there's just mass confusion everywhere. No one understands what's going on. And eventually, 
as people obviously don't understand each other, they start to find the people that they can understand. And all of a sudden, they move into tribes. And they, and, they, and they spread out through the earth, forming their own people groups, their own nations, and, and whatnot. Because they're just trying to survive. Now, you got to do me a favor. Don't get lost in the mechanics of the story for me. Like, like, when I say don't get lost in the mechanics, don't get lost trying to figure out, like, how did God, like, confuse all the languages? Like, how did he do that? Like, how did he, yeah, did he rewire their brains? Like, don't get lost there, but rather, um, as you would do with all Hebrew scripture, find out what is the meaning of the passage. What's being communicated? Like, you know what? In the Bible, God is always trying to tell us something about the character of people as well as the character of God. That's what God's always trying to do. He's trying to tell you something about who he is and something about who you are. And in this passage, he's telling you something. So the people, what they're doing is they are building a city for the purpose of making their name great. They're building a city for the purpose of exalting themselves. That's what they are doing. They are building a city for themselves. And they have this super high ambition to build a city that reaches to the heavens. And then the scripture says God comes down. I could imagine, like, you know, God came down to see this city. He's like, oh, you little people. Little people building a city to heaven. All right. And, and then God says, all right, I have a solution. Boom. Languages. Bam. And everyone's like, oh, we don't know how to build the city. We're, it's over. City just stays there. It's just, it's just, it's just left abandoned. Uh, just like that with a snap. Uh, and, and the thing is, that's actually an act of God's grace and mercy. Because, you know, anytime you're trying to build a kingdom for yourself, for your own endeavor, for your own end, guess what? You're headed towards destruction. So that's actually God's mercy doing that. And so, so they do this. And, and, you know, part of the reason we know for sure, if you read between the lines, that this was just purely human endeavor as it says in the, te- in the text, that they were building it with bricks instead of stones. Now, that's, that's a Hebrew language stuff here. Uh, bricks are actually, uh, it's actually, bricks are a negative thing in, in, the, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures. You know, like when the people of Israel were slaves, what were they doing? Building bricks. Um, here, they're making bricks. Um, part of the reason why that's so important and how they juxtapose that with stones is that Bricks are human-constructed items. You don't go in nature and find a brick. No, no, it's a human. It's a man-made thing, a a human-produced item. Stones are natural. Those are in nature, so they're God items. And so they're building this tower out of human-made things, artificial, instead of the natural. And so that's the Hebrew writer's way of telling you, like, yeah, this was a human endeavor for the sake of human ends, for the sake of building a human kingdom. And and as you're reading it, before you even get to the end, you already know, like, this thing isn't going to work. It's just not going to happen. But and so, 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 so this is a human endeavor, again, for the sake of building a human kingdom. Now, this story is a backdrop to another story that's going to unfold a couple thousand years later. So, you know, the Old Testament, uh, almost always those passages and those stories and definitely the worldview, it finds a manifestation or finds um, an expression in the New Testament as well. And so if we turn our attention to the day of Pentecost on Acts chapter 2, let's read this. Let's read this. So, this is from Acts chapter 2 to give you just some, some background. Uh, so, you know, Tower of Babel happens a really long time ago. And then thousands of years later, Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus, he heals the sick. He casts out demons. He preaches the word. Um, he sets captives free. He's put on a cross. He dies. 
and people think the story's over, but no, three days later, he rises again. He's seen by the disciples. He's seen by followers. And then he's ascending to heaven, but right before he goes to ascend to heaven, he says to, uh, to his disciples, he says, wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send to you all the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have power to preach the word of God, to build my kingdom. And so they're in Jerusalem waiting, and that's when we get to this passage. And so the, the text says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in others' tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Look at this comparative stories here, these two stories. Look, in the Tower of Babel, they're trying to build a kingdom for themselves, for their own glory, and their one language, and now all of a sudden they can't understand one another. We move forward thousands of years, all of a sudden they're gathered together for the purpose now of waiting for the Holy Spirit so they can start to build God's kingdom for his glory, the, the kingdom that's going to last forever and ever. They have different languages, but facilitated by the Holy Spirit, they can understand one another. It's like this reversal, because you see, when God at the Tower of Babel, he confused their languages, he wasn't putting an ending to the story. He said, all right, you're trying to build your own kingdom. We're going to have to break this up so you don't self-destruct, but I'm going to pick it up in years to come. And what I'm going to do is you're going to go out, you're going to create cultures, languages, and, and nations and tribes are going to be divided. But guess what? I'm going to come back, I'm going to do the work of the cross, and then I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to bring you guys back together so that you can proclaim claim my kingdom throughout the earth unified different but unified unity is going to come by the holy spirit is my thesis this morning it's the spirit of god that's going to bring unity and the spirit of god is going to bring unity because the spirit of god seeks to have a unified people to build his kingdom and so the division that we see uh, back in genesis we see that a couple thousand years later, the Spirit of God is breaking that division. Back then, it says God came to visit the city to break up this human endeavor. 2,000 years ago, God comes to this city, Jerusalem, this city of peace where people are gathered waiting for him to now bring them together to build his kingdom. People, the Spirit of God is calling us to be a unified people of different languages, different tribes, different nations, different races for the sake of building his kingdom. 
Praise God. Amen. And so here's the thing is it's God's will, God's intention, God's purposes to bring people together for the kingdom work. But, you know, it is our responsibility to submit to his work. You know, like, you know, with everything with the Holy Spirit, uh, God leads us, but we have to choose to bend our hearts. We have to choose to submit to his will. Um, you know, God has chosen in his sovereignty, meaning like when we say sovereignty, meaning like in his all power and all control, he has chosen to do something unique. He has chosen to work with people to accomplish his purposes. That's how God has chosen to do this. And so we have to participate with what uh, he's doing. You know, John Wesley, this famed preacher, um, he once said, without God, we can't. But without us, God won't. Let me say that again. Without God, we can't. But without us, God won't. And, and what's hidden in that statement is the fact that God uses us as a mechanism to accomplish his purposes in the earth. And for that to happen, we have to bend our hearts, our wills to his leading that he would do what he desires to do. And so we're going to look at a character in scripture that actually has this cross-cultural um, gospel experience. This cross-cultural engagement where he had to actually lean on the leading of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this work of unifying diverse people together. And the character we're going to look at is Peter. Peter. I heard a few people chuckle. Yeah, Peter's, he's a, he's a guy you got to chuckle at. You know, the reason you chuckle at Peter is because Peter's one of those guys where, like, he's relatable because Peter has, like, super high moments and then Peter has super, super low moments. You know, Peter has a moment where no one else knows except for him that this is Jesus, the Christ that was sent from God. It's like, you're like, Peter, awesome. How'd you know? And then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan, because Peter's is messing up again. You know, Peter is that guy like where Jesus comes walking on the water and all the disciples are terrified. But Peter, he gets out of the boat and starts to walk on the water towards Jesus. My man was walking on water. You're like, Peter, way to go. Peter, you're the man. You're walking on water. All of a sudden, he looks around. Peter's drowning. And you're like, Peter, fail. Um, it's interesting. Peter's one of those type of people. But guess what? That makes him such a real and relatable character. Because how many of you have had moments where you're walking on water and then pretty quickly you're drowning? You're like, help me, Lord. You know, who had one of those moments this week? <laughs> you know, it's so, so, you know, he's believable. In fact, you know, you know, like in, in Islam, it's really interesting. You know, like when all their like heroes in their faith are like these perfect people. Like they no, literally they have no flaws. Like they, they do everything right. And so when I read the text, I'm like, I just don't believe that. <laughs> like, I just can't believe it. Peter, I believe it because he's, he's bumbling. Like, he's a bumbling guy. Um, but that makes him relatable. And I want to glean some principles from Peter this morning that we can apply to ourselves when we're thinking about this idea of being unified across racial cultural lines by the Holy Spirit. What did Peter do? How did he respond to the Holy Spirit in a way that facilitated 
the furthering of the kingdom of God. Because the way that he responded, if we respond, we can also be agents of facilitating what God wants to do in our community, in our church, in our region, and even in our own personal lives. So let's, let's do this. We're going to read a nice long passage of scripture here. It's good to read the Bible, right? Amen. I, wait, I heard it's good to read the Bible. People are like, yeah, I guess. Uh, it's good to be in the Word. So let's turn to, to, to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Just listen, or if you want to read along, read on the app. We're not going to put all the words up for this passage. I'm just going to read it. Um, but hear the words. Imagine you're in the story. Imagine you're in the story. Some context to this. Um, there's this guy named Cornelius, and um, Cornelius is a non-Jew. He's a Gentile. He's non-Jewish. Uh, so he's, he's an other other race, other culture, other ethnicity. And uh, God speaks to him and says, go send for this guy named Peter. And so uh, they send for Peter. And then Peter has this whole internal struggle that goes on within his heart as he's being obedient to the Holy Spirit. So reading from chapter 10, verse 9, it says this. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent from Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask, why have you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said Cornelius God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter he is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea so I sent for you immediately it was good for you to come now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And Peter goes on to tell them about the grace and the work of Jesus Christ. So he goes on to tell them about how Jesus came, how he did miracles, how he died, how he rose to, uh, from, the de- from the dead, and, and so on. So he tells them the gospel. And it says, while Peter was still speaking, these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. 
the circumcised believers who had come with Peter, those are Jews, um, they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on these Gentiles, these non-Jews, these others. For they heard them speaking in, speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized, for they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Powerful story. Tons of stuff happened there, right? Tons of stuff. You know, what we can learn from Peter in that story is each step of the way he was being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we established, desires unity between people of different backgrounds. But then it's our task, our mission to respond to his working, to respond to his desires. So how do we respond to this? First, we must allow the Holy Spirit to challenge our perspective. Allow the Holy Spirit to challenge our perspective. You know, we all have a view of things, right? We all see the world in a different way. Peter, Peter in the story was stuck in a perspective at first. I want you to think about this. Peter was on his roof having a prayer time. When you have prayer time, um, you should be listening for God, right? That's what prayer time's about. You know, you talk to God, you listen to God. It's a, it's a conversation. That's prayer time. Let me give you a little tip. You don't have to go to seminary for this. You don't have to be a Christian for 20 years for this. If you became a Christian 10 minutes ago, here's a tip that will always work. If God talks, listen. Listen. So he's having this prayer time. God tells him to do something. I mean, this is good prayer time. He has an open vision, and God speaks to him. What does Peter say? No. God says, get up and eat. Peter says, no. Listen, that's the wrong answer, Peter. No, it's supposed to be yes. Yes. The reason he's saying no is because Peter was very rigidly stuck in a perspective. His Jewish background said, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to interact. He wasn't recognizing at first what God was doing. Now, God was preparing him because he was saying, get up and eat. Because what happens, basically, some, just some background, those, those items that were in that sheet, uh, Jews don't eat those things, all right? Those are, those are unclean things to eat. And so, so when God says eat, he's like, no, I can't do that. That's just not, I can't do it. Even though God is talking to him. And he knows it's God, by the way, because in this passage, he actually says, Lord, no. He says, Lord, like he's not like confused. He knows who it is. So he says no, but God is using that to prepare him. Because if you can't even eat the food, man, how are you going to ever step into their house? So God's setting him up. And so he says, no, no, no. But God needs to change his perspective, and finally he bends his perspective for, for the sake of what the Spirit is doing. Let me tell you that all of us, we need some perspective change. You know, God needs to change our perspective on how we see uh, people who are different from us, people that think differently from us, people who speak different language. We all, from, from, from the believer who's been a believer 50 years to the person that's been a believer five, year, five minutes, we need perspective shifting. You know, perspective is so powerful because, you know, we can very qu quickly think that our normal is normal. Like, our normal is the standard for what normal is when, no, the reality is your normal is just your normal. You know, when I was in grad school, I remember I took this class on intercultural studies, and we were reading one of the accounts 
of an early European colonist in, in America. And he was interacting with Native Americans, and he, he noted how they had this really, uh, what he referred to as a very disgusting habit. And so what they would do is like, whenever they need to clean their nose, they would like, they would grab a stick and they'd shove up the nose, clean it, and throw it away. And so they'd just be walking around, oh, nose clean, grab a stick. And he was like, ooh, this is just, that's dirty. Like, that's so disgusting. And, and he tried to talk to him, but he's like, like, don't do that. Like, that's just, it's dirty. Like, you're, and, and, and they're like, okay. <laughs> and so they keep on doing it. And, and eventually, one of the Native Americans spoke to him and said, he's like this, you know, we agree with you. Like, like you know, the stuff in your nose is really dirty and disgusting. It's like, but we just don't understand this thing. You have this thing called a handkerchief. And so, like, you take out this handkerchief, and when you need to clean your nose, you blow all this stuff out, and then you put it in your pocket. <laughs> You're like, why do you want to keep that with you? I don't get it. Like, why? like, we take a stick, we throw it away. You take it, you put it in your pocket, and you keep on walking. Perspective. Perspective. It's a perspective thing. Listen, we need to allow the Spirit of God to shift our perspective. Peter had a perspective, but the Holy Spirit was shifting him. We must be malleable to the Spirit of God shifting our perspective. Our perspective of others, our perspective of that which is different. So be prepared to allow the Holy Spirit to challenge your perspective all right second point allow the holy spirit to lead me out of my comfort zone allow the holy spirit to lead you out of your comfort zone um let's look at this scripture here so when peter gets to the house of cornelius um if we could turn to scripture yes uh it says that uh yep that second one there next one Yes, it says, he says to, to, to them, he says, you are well aware it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that which I should not, that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when he goes to the house, just to give you guys some context, and it's really hard for us in our Western world to understand this. When he goes to their house, this is really uncomfortable for them. Like, this is really uncomfortable for him and, and them, the people that are with him. Like, this is just so, like, they, they actually have, like, this, this worldview, like, kind of like the environment of just being around non-Jews, Gentiles, like, makes you contaminate it. Like, and so he is highly uncomfortable, but the Spirit of God told him, go. And so he was just going with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, there are times the Holy Spirit will lead you into un comfortable places, especially when we talk about specifically here uh, issues of racial cultural engagement. It can be uncomfortable to talk with someone that has a different world worldview from you. It can be uncomfortable to, to have those hard conversations where you just don't agree. It can be uncomfortable to even have conversations where there's a somewhat of a language barrier. Um, there's all these w things that make it uncomfortable, but we have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in places even when it's uncomfortable. Because guess what? When God leads us into places that are uncomfortable, usually uh, he puts us through the discomfort so that we can become comfortable then with the uncomfortable. A lot of times God will position and utilize that discomfort to teach us something. You know, uh, some of you might know, but I, I, I went backpacking through Europe about 10 years ago. 
About 10 years ago, I went backpacking for 40 days. Uh, I just got on a plane with a backpack. I didn't, you know, I didn't even tell anyone I was going. I, I left my parents a note saying, I'll be gone for 40 days in Europe. Bye. Uh, I, and I went for 40 days. It was life-changing. Um, but, you know, I had this one encounter when I was in Europe that really shifted and changed me. Um, I remember I was in France because I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a computer. I didn't even use email. Like, I just, I was backpacking, like, hostel staying, boots trekking. Like, I was doing it, real deal. Went to 14 countries. And um, when I was uh, in, in France, a small village in France, I was making, like, a transition from one, one train to another train. It was really confusing. It was, it was like, I didn't know where I had to go. I couldn't read anything. And it was a small village, so there weren't that many people that spoke English. And so I stood on one line, got to the front, wrong line. Still the next line, got to the front. Wrong line. Still on the last li- next line, got to front. I was like, this is going to definitely be the right line this time. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to this teller who speaks broken English, trying to figure out where I have to go. And you know what I felt behind me? Oof, I felt that, that weight of criticism. You know that weight when, like, kind of like, you're, like, you, you know, like, they recognize you don't speak their language, and they're just in a rush, and they're like, you are completely a zero contributor, and you are inconvenient right now. I, I remember, and I just remember the feeling kind of like this, like, kind of like, they, like, you felt that, ju- that critical judgment, like, like, they were saying basically, like, man, aren't you smart enough just to figure out, jump on this train? Like, you know, that feeling. And I'm sitting there feeling this indignation, like, kind of like, wait a second, I'm a scholar, I'm a smart person, or somewhat smart, uh, like, like, I don't deserve this. And you know something, I remember that changed my perspective. You know, ever since then, I have never once been in a line waiting for something, gotten impatient with someone in front of me struggling with a language issue. I just don't, because I'm like, I've been there. I've been there. And guess what? I know that whatever struggle they're going through is not a testament to their intelligence, to the quality of the person they are. They're just trying to make it just like I was trying to make it. It was an uncomfortable experience I went through, but it shifted my perspective. God will oftentimes use that discomfort to shift you. And so allow the Holy Spirit to lead you out of your comfort zone. For some of you, even being in small groups this past week where we had these conversations might have been uncomfortable for some of you. You know, we had these conversations about race, culture, and maybe people in your group felt and and thought differently than you. That was a, a moment where the Lord was leading you out of your comfort zone for the sake of his kingdom. His kingdom, which is made up of people of different races, cultures, and ethnicities. So allow the Spirit of God to lead you out of your comfort zone. Amen? Amen, amen. All right, third, third point. Allow the Spirit to move in unexpected ways. Allow the Spirit to move in unexpected ways. If we go to this passage, um, it says, while Peter's still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And it goes on to say that. He says, they received the Holy Spirit. Let's get them baptized. Let's dunk them, y'all. Like, they're, they're, they, they, they got filled. And so let me tell you this, the Holy Spirit, um, we already know, like, the Holy Spirit can do things as the Spirit of God chooses to do things. You know, one of the words in the, in the Old Testament is the Hrua of God, the, the Spirit of God. And it, it's, a, it's a word that kind of is like wind. And, and, you know, part of the reason they use this word like, like wind is because they're like, the Spirit of God is like wind. You know why? Because, you know, you're out there, you feel all the wind. But you ever notice, like, if you try to catch the wind, like you put it in your hand, the moment you try to catch the wind, you look inside your hand, it's gone. 
respond uh, because you can't contain the wind. And so the Spirit of God is like wind. Um, the Spirit of God goes and flows where the Spirit of God chooses to go and flow. We don't have control over that. We just get to go with the flow. And so um, we, we, that's how the Spirit of God works. And so um, it, we have to be ready that God can flow in all these different ways. Now, we apply that to so many aspects of our life. But, man, how about we apply that to the fact that he can flow as he desires even as we attempt to do cross-cultural engagement like like you know something you know the holy spirit can flow in you where you show up one week you're uncomfortable with the conversation six months later a year later you're leading conversations the spirit can flow that way because the spirit does and flows as he wants but you know what we have to submit our hearts to go with the flow you know, Peter showed up to Cornelius' house, and he had no clue what was going to happen. In fact, it says in the text that the people with him, they were astonished, astonished at the Holy Spirit. They didn't expect it because the Spirit of God was just going with the flow, and they just didn't have control of flow. But what they chose to do was go with it. Listen, in your, in your endeavors to do cross-cultural engagement with people that are unlike you, expect the Holy Spirit to do something. Expect the unexpected. Because you know what? You are reflecting what God desires. And when you try to engage and reflect what God desires, you've just now created a space for the Holy Spirit to consume. When you take that moment to have a conversation with someone that is not like you, when you take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to, to change or challenge your perspective, um, you've just now created space for the Holy Spirit to fill. You've, you know, wind can be flowing all around you, but you got to open up a little bit for the wind to flow into you. You just now create a little space to open up. And so, uh, I, just as by way of tip, um, I love this, uh, uh, this one idea that um, the Holy Spirit, I mean, Peter, in the passage, when he meets Cornelius, uh, you know, he's uncomfortable. Um, it's a new situation. He doesn't know what to do. You know what he does? He asks them what do you want from me? He asks a question. You know, when you're in a, in a place where it's uncomfortable or something new, maybe you're interacting with someone that's different, be like Peter. Ask a question. He says, what have you, what, what have you sent for me for? Like, you know, ask people like, like, tell me about your experience. You don't have to agree with them, but ask. You know why? Because when you ask, you're actually, um, you're being vulnerable because you're saying, I don't know. You're saying, I don't know, but I want to learn. And so, so first, we have to make sure that we allow the Holy Spirit to challenge our perspective, allow the Holy Spirit to lead us out of our comfort zone, allow our, the Holy Spirit to move in ex unexpected ways, and then ask the Spirit for wisdom and boldness in responding to those who are critical. Um, after this whole encounter, um, in the 11th chapter, right after, uh, Peter has an a, a interesting um, pushback from from others. And in the pushback, it says this in chapter 11, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticizing him, criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised men and ate with them. They got pushback. They got pushback uh, because they went with the flow of the Holy Spirit. They got pushback. You know, sometimes you're going to get pushback because you're doing something across cultural and ethnic lines. You know, uh, it's true of me. 
and I'm sure it's probably true of most of you all, uh, that probably the most critical uh, uh, or most prejudiced comments that you've heard about people that are different from you uh, occurred when you're just within your own in-group. You know, like when you're with your friends or your family that is all like you culturally and ethnically, that's when they make comments of people that are different or those who are others for most people. And, you know, um, when you're trying to make cross-cultural uh, bridges and cross-cultural engagement for the sake of building the kingdom that God desires, which is one of diversity unified under Christ, um, you need wisdom and boldness to respond to that, to some of those critiques critics that you're gonna hear like you know you'll hear the criticism like like do you even like their food (laughs) like like this isn't it hard to understand them like this like like yeah that must have been a long day like you know like do we really even need to talk about this issue that's something in the past like injustices do we need to talk about you know there's critiques critiques but we need to have the wisdom and the boldness to do it now i'm not sitting here saying every comment that's made turn into an argument but i am saying that there should be an agenda within the depths of your heart that you want to see the kingdom of god reflected in diversity so much that you're going to say man i gotta i gotta say something or do something or live differently somehow somehow you know what's interesting peter gives us a cool tip when he gets the critique you know what he says it says It says that starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. He told them the story that he had in this encounter. You know how powerful your story is? You know, when you have prejudice, uh, prejudice are shaped by stories. You know, Like, like you have a story of the other. And this story shapes how you interact with them. This story will shape how you think of them. This story will shape how you engage this other. Some people in your circles need to have new stories. You see the Jews, Jewish persons that were, that were really judging these other ethnic groups that were receiving the Holy Spirit, they had a story that, that led to their judgment. Peter shared with them a new story. He shared with them a story in which God was blowing just as powerfully in the Gentiles as he did in the Jewish community. He shared a new story. Many of you have to be able to share new stories. You know, they say, oh, those people do this and do that, and we don't like them because of this and that. How about you share with them a new story? Share with them a new story. You know, in order to have a new story, you do have to have interactions with other people that are different from you. That's how you get a new story. And you know, a story is powerful because uh, a story isn't going to shape or change everyone's perspective. You know, you can share a a new story and some people aren't going to receive the new story. But there are going to be people that have a heart sensitive to what God's doing that will receive a story. Later in this passage, it says that, in fact, I'll read it. It's not up there, but I'll read it. It says that, um, so it says at the end here, uh, where is it? it says when they heard this the story they had no further objections and praised God saying so even to the Gentiles God has rep- granted repentance that leads to life they had no more objections you know why because that community 
They were trying to go in the flow with the Holy Spirit, so they received it. There's people in your community that might have objections, but when you tell them a story, the Holy Spirit's going to be behind the story, and their hearts will be changed. Their hearts will be changed. And you know, we stand in this, or sit, stand in this building today, the vast majority of us, non-Jew, you're standing here because there was a group of Jewish persons that were willing to go beyond the barriers of race, culture, and ethnicity for the sake of the kingdom. Amen. Yeah, let's clap for that. I guess I asked the question of, man, what further things might the Spirit of God do in our region, our country, our world, if the church was willing to go beyond these divisive barriers of race, culture, and ethnicity? Man, what kind of impact could that happen? What kind of impact could there be? People, as I said earlier, my thesis is so simple, is that, you know, when we go to Babel, the people are trying to build a name for themselves. And, you know, when they spread out the, throughout the world, uh, they didn't, that, that sinful, broken part of who they are were, uh, remained. Different tribes and different people groups claimed superiority over other people groups because each tribe wanted to build a name for themselves. And when we get to Acts chapter 2, God brings the people back together, facilitated by the Holy Spirit, for the sake of building God's kingdom. His kingdom that's going to look diverse of different nations, tribes, and tongues. That's the vision we're supposed to be on. That's what God's calling us to. Amen? Amen. Here, bow your hearts with me as we pray here. Most High God, we thank you so much for, <clears throat> for being with us this morning. Um, would you touch our hearts in such a way, Lord God, that your word would not just be things that, that we heard with our ears, but would it be th uh, truths that we heard with our hearts? Um, would we live transformed because of who you are? Would we be engaged with the work of building your kingdom? Fill us fresh, Lord God. In this whole conversation, Lord God, we know that's for, for the sake of building up what you are desiring to do, Lord. Lord God, may we be like Peter, Lord God, and allow your spirit to lead us where it's uncomfortable to challenge our perspectives. Allow us, Lord God, to allow you to move in ways that are unexpected. And Lord God, give us wisdom, give us boldness. All for your namesake, Lord God. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, amen, amen. So God bless you. Now, there's some of you, you know, this issue, it still hits home. Like, this is a sensitive issue for some of you. Like, this, for some, I, and I've had the conversation, so I know. Some of you, the issue of, like, uh, injustices or, or, or just feeling judged between, um, because of your ethnicity or your identity or your race, um, it hurts. And you know something, if that's you, we want to pray for you. Uh, we're going to have people that are here set aside to pray for you. Um, and pray that God would, would cause healing within you. And then also um, uh, fill you in such a fresh way that you would be an agent of healing in your world, in your community, and your sphere of influence. Um, if you have prayer requests or prayer needs in any regards, we're also here to pray for you that. And so there will be people in prayer ministry to my right. 
uh, that are going to do that. And I just want to speak a blessing over you as we go. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he fill you with the boldness and wisdom to be an agent of healing in a broken world. In the name of Christ, we all say amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you all. God bless you all.